Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. This morning's message is something that I've really been dealing with and grappling with in my personal life. And so God really put it on my heart to to share it this morning. But if you're new here, if you're watching online for the first time, um, welcome. My name is Mitch, um, and we are a part of a group of people that believe in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who died for us and who is making us uh, into uh, a completed work, into his image. And um, I don't know if you guys ever get on Facebook or Instagram or social media in general. I try to fast social media as much as possible nowadays um, just because it's pretty toxic, to be honest. But uh, every now and then I find myself getting on there. uh, And not so much on Instagram, but on Facebook I find myself just having these like facepalm moments, you know, where you're just like, what are you saying? Like you just encounter somebody who has... I guess alienated themselves or purposefully separated themselves from community and from friends for so long that they just don't have anyone in their life challenging their opinion. And I find nowadays more than ever, everybody has something to say, but nobody's actually saying anything. And I have this, this constant moment on online where I'm like, what's your point? What is your point? I watched a documentary a couple years ago called Ahead of the Curve, I think it's what, is what it's called. It's a documentary about a group of people. There's actually a, 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 an alarmingly large number of these people who believe that the earth is flat. This is a recent phenomenon. And it is really funny, and it's an enjoyable documentary, and I recommend you go watch it. But, and it's very interesting. But the saddest thing in it isn't that they believe that the earth is flat, because, like, who cares, right? The saddest thing in it is that despite the overwhelming evidence that it's not flat, and despite all of their friends and family and the entire scientific community being like, hey, you know, this is the evidence... We understand why you're confused here. This is the evidence. Instead of letting that sharpen them, they are in this community now that tells them, anybody who doesn't go along with this, you need to cut them out of your life. So they cut them out of their life and they keep reinforcing this idea that the earth is flat, right? Now we sit here right now and we think, well, that's ridiculous. How ridiculous that they do that. But no, It's actually not that ridiculous because we actually do this a lot. Especially as Christians, we do this a lot. How many have heard this, iron sharpens iron, right? This is is a great verse that we love to quote as Christians. Proverbs 27, 17 in the NIV. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I love it in the Passion Translation. It says, It takes a grinding wheel to sharpen a blade, and so one person sharpens the character of another. 
Now, we often talk about this scripture in the context of other people not being sharp enough to be in our lives anymore. Right? You need to get better friends because iron sharpens iron. You shouldn't be hanging out with those people anymore because iron sharpens iron. And there is a certain element of truth to that in certain contexts. You know, if you're trying to quit smoking, it's probably not a good idea to hang out with smokers for a while. You know, like that's just something that I've had to deal with in my life. You know, that's, a, that's one example of that. There are plenty of examples of that. But as Christians, I find, you know, I... I find there's moments where it's, it's almost just an excuse to not battle with the hard elements of community. And we actually do this to the extent, surprisingly, as Christians, where it's like, then we stop going to church. We start having church at home or something. Because, well, because I, don't, I, I just can't get along with this person or this person has ridiculous ideas about the Bible or, or they just don't, have the same theological grounds that I agree with or whatever, right? And so we, we, we see that as an opportunity to use this scripture as, as an excuse to not actually be sharpened. So this morning I'm going to talk about three things that sharpen us. These are not going to be on the screen, but they're really easy to write down. If you're not taking notes, I'm not saying that you won't get into heaven I'm just saying, why take the chance? So the first thing that sharpens you is community. That's what this proverb is talking about, right? A lot of the translations say, as iron sharpens an iron, so a friend sharpens another. Some of them don't mention friendship at all. But we all kind of agree this scripture is pertaining to community. I, I find it interesting, though, that we're usually... Approaching this scripture from the standpoint of other people not being sharp enough to be in our lives, instead of looking at it from, well, how sharp am I actually? Because, because it's iron sharpens iron. It's not cotton sharpens iron, you know? It's not pillows and air conditioning that sharpens iron. It's iron sharpens iron. So yes, you need to look for iron to sharpen against, but you also need to make sure that you're iron as well. It's not just them that needs to be iron, it's you that has to be iron. It's iron and iron, okay? So we talk about this in the context of friendship, but I also believe that your enemies... And your challenging experiences will sharpen you just as much, if not more. We're talking about a weapon here. We're not talking about iron sculptures. We're not talking about iron reinforcement beams in a building. This, the, the Passion Translation, I like it because it says, as we just read, it takes a grinding wheel to sharpen a blade. We're talking about a blade here. There's lots of things you can make out of iron, but this scripture is talking specifically about a blade or a tool. So what are you going through right now is my question. And if you're not going through anything, why not? Why are you not going through something? I find it interesting that our highest aim as a society right now seems to be to attain a level of comfort to where we've nerfed all the edges in the world and 
we don't actually have to worry about pain or challenge or discomfort, right? And we do this as a society. We do this in community. We are better now than ever with politics, with everything. At just if they don't agree with me, I cut them out of my life. I don't need it anymore. It's toxic. You're a toxic friend. You're a toxic parent. You're a toxic whatever. And then I'm just going to find all the people that agree with me. And none of us are going to sharpen each other. Because we're not actually going up. Iron sharpening iron isn't just you rubbing up against the same thing that you agree with, okay? Iron sharpening iron is finding the places in your life where you're not necessarily very sharp and you're a little bit dull and you're saying some stuff on Facebook that has very little evidence or isn't very well thought out or just, you know, is, is plain ignorance, And then when somebody is like, well, hang on a second, that's not necessarily true. Instead of being like, hmm, let me sharp, let me use this to sharpen myself, we we block them, right? That's what this is talking about. So today's message, if you're taking notes, is called, what's your point? I'm terrified of heights. Absolutely terrified of heights. I can barely climb on top of a ladder without getting really shaky, you know, palms are sweaty. And this has just been an ongoing issue in my, in my life that I've never really cared about because who cares? We live in a world where that's not really a, a problem. Um, but I find myself in certain scenarios, especially living in New York City, where it just is uncomfortable being in high places without adequate uh, reinforcements. Um, and... And just, you know, it's just kind of embarrassing for me sometimes. So I, every year, I put it on my bucket list that I'm going to go skydiving because I figure this will be the best way to just bury this fear is if I go skydiving. If I can go skydiving, then maybe I can stand on top of a ladder, right? So every year I do this and I make this, you know, and, and then and, and every year it doesn't happen. Uh, I just never get around to it, you know? And so this year I wrote it down and I put it on my list and I posted it on social media so that people would hopefully hold me accountable to it. And then lo and behold, not more than a week later, or maybe it was the same day that I posted it, Katie decides to take me up on this offer and says, okay, I'll take you skydiving. And I'll pay for it. Oh, man. Right? Now, I could come up with a hundred valid excuses to not go skydiving, right? I'm here for a limited amount of time. Oh, yeah, Friday's just not going to work. The weather, the weather was brutal, you know? So there were all these factors. We tried going, we get to the airport and they canceled on us and I could have taken that, oh, look, it must be a sign. (laughs) Right? If that's not God, I don't know what is. He's the one that controls the weather, you know? And so we sat there waiting for three hours to go go on this plane. They they said, oh, we're going to have to reschedule. So then we, we just had to rebook, right? And then Katie unfortunately hurt herself and so she lets me know hey I can't go with you now this was my out this was my oh thank god 
I don't have to go anymore. But then my dad goes, I'll go with you. And let me tell you something. Like, I, they don't really, they, you watch like a 15-minute DVD about this, you know, like when you get in there. Oh, they're packing the parachutes like right in front of you. Like, you're sitting there. We're trying to watch the DVD that's explaining to you like the important safety procedures so you don't like get sucked under the airplane and caught on the wheel or something. So... We're sitting there trying to pay attention and the people are packing the parachute next to us and the guy, he's on the ground with the parachute thing and she's over there untangling cables and he goes, oh, that's why it wasn't going in. You put it in the wrong hole. And I'm sitting there like, man, like you couldn't find, like could you do this in a different room? Like I understand that there's like going to be things that you guys have to talk about and I'm glad that you figured out she put it in the wrong hole and now you've got you to fix that, you know? But please have that conversation elsewhere because like I don't want to listen to that. And then we get in the airplane, dad's last in the airplane, which means he has to go first. And he doesn't even get a seat on the airplane, he's just sitting on the floor, next to the door. The door is made of that butcher's paper that they use to wrap fish and chips. It's literally like the whole time. It's like barely on the plane. And we're like going up in this airplane, man, and I am just freaking out, like absolutely internally losing my mind. Like what have I done? And then they get up there to 15,000 feet and the guy just opens the, opens the door and it's just like, well, there's the outside of the airplane, you know, go ahead. And I just watch dad, you know, he shuffles over to the edge of the airplane and then I just watch him just go and just get sucked out of the airplane. <laughs> My brain is just like, you're going to die. Like, this is, this is how people die. And, and there was nothing I could do. Like, there literally, unfortunately, there is nothing you can do at that point. You can't back out. As far as I'm aware, there's no way. The plane is too small. They've got 10 other people behind you. You can't maneuver. Like, you have to go, right? And I could fight this guy. I was, like, probably bigger than him. I could probably, like like wrestle him, but I had committed, like, no, I'm doing this. I had to surrender to it, right? This is a, a, an inevitable part of sharpening is this idea of surrender. There's a point that you're being sharpened to, and it's not going to be easy it's, the easy way is to not talk to that person anymore. The hard thing is to go, what do you mean by that? Or to go, explain to me your point of view here. The easy thing is to write off their opinions or, you know, their questions. You know, I, I, I meet a lot of Christians who it's like, ah. Oh, they read this scripture, iron sharpens iron. Oh, I just got to get out of my house. I live with a bunch of unsaved people. I'm like, good. 
Like, you're the iron in that scenario, right? But they're also the iron in that scenario. Why do you want to leave? Oh, it's just a toxic environment. They keep asking me questions I don't know how to answer. Maybe you should learn how to answer those questions because maybe God is trying to get you to ask some questions in your own life. When a, when, when a non-Christian asks you, why does bad stuff happen in the world? That's not your excuse to cut them out of your life. This is an area that is dull, that's blunt in your life that God is trying to use to sharpen you. This is not an excuse to get them out of your life. If you're looking for sharpening, try reading the parts of the Bible that you don't agree with. I guarantee you there's something in the Bible that rubs you the wrong way. And that is a great place to start. Try diving into the book of Leviticus every now and then and just grapple with that. It might not make a whole lot of sense to you, but it will make you sharper. Just grappling with it will make you sharper. One of my favorite quotes is by G. Michael Hopf. It says, hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. And weak men create hard times. Now, you can say that about men and women. It's hard things that create strong men and women. It's easy times or good times that create weak men and women, surprisingly. It's not the comfortable, complacent times in your life that build the most amount of faith and strength in you. It's that time when you're dealing with something so cripplingly, diabolically challenging that you start really praying, isn't it? It's the time where you really start asking God, why is this happening? How do I get through this? Give me the strength to get through this. It's not the time when the air conditioner is working, is it? No, then it's fine. Then it's Netflix and renovation shows. But if you, as soon as the aircon stops working and then you see the bill on how much the aircon's going to cost, then it's suddenly like, you know, you're looking for all the prosperity scriptures, aren't you? You're looking for the parts of the Bible where God promises you a new air conditioner. The second thing that sharpens you is adversity. So the first thing is community. The second thing is adversity. In James 1, 2 to 4 in the NIV, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That doesn't make any sense. That is absolute lunacy, James. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I like what it says in the Passion Translation. It says, My fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties... See it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. Why? Because you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up in you the power of endurance. And who cares? Why do I care about endurance? And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking. 
One of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis is, courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point, which means at the point of highest reality. Courage is not a virtue. Courage is the point of every virtue. What does that mean? What's the point? What's your point? The point is where, tar- is where courage takes place. The point where you feel like you can't hold on any longer, where your faith is being tested beyond belief. That's where courage takes place. When I was trying to quit smoking for the 11th time a few years ago, it was all good and well to say I'm going to quit smoking and throw my pack of smokes in the trash. And then I'm thinking, oh, I have, this, I have this boost of like energy, right? Where it's like, oh, I've just done something so brave, so courageous, right? That's all good and well. That's not where courage takes place, though. Courage isn't the act of actually quitting, right? Courage takes place three hours later when my boss tells me, that there's an, a whole other report that's due in the morning, and then my toilet catches fire, and that I'm not even joking, by the way, my toilet caught fire. The, uh, the fan in the bathroom short-circuited, melted the plastic, and fell onto the toilet, and the whole thing, the whole toilet caught fire, the entire toilet. I opened the bathroom, and it was like a giant flame in the middle of my bathroom, Right? That's the moment where courage takes place because that's the moment my brain, my body, my flesh is screaming for a cigarette and I have an opportunity, as James says, an invaluable opportunity to choose courage, to choose to be sharpened instead of dulled. We're all either being sharpened or we're being dulled. It's the point at which I'm jumping out of the aeroplane, not the point where I'm writing it on my phone and posting on Instagram. Look at this brave thing I'm going to do. Look how brave I am. I'm going to jump out of an aeroplane. It's the point where I'm in the aeroplane going, oh my God, what have I done? And I have to do it. I have to jump. That's the point. The point has a product. What does it produce? It produces, as James says, perseverance. The point is where perseverance is produced. There is a product that you are getting. Sharpening happens in community. Sharpening happens from adversity. Number three, the third thing that sharpens you is God. In Genesis 32, 22 to 28, it says, That night... Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. That man, we later find out, is God himself. When the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hips so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. 
seems like a ridiculous thing to say to somebody that you're in a fight with. I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Well, what does that mean? What does Israel mean? Israel literally means wrestles with God. The nation of Israel literally means a nation that wrestles with God. That's the literal definition. We are supposed to be a people that wrestles with God. We don't like talking about that because we like to see God as the benevolent father, which he is. And we like to see God as the warrior, you know, but we don't like to think that we actually have to wrestle with God sometimes and we get to, and it makes us sharper. I'm currently learning jujitsu, which involves a lot of wrestling. And right now it's not a whole lot of fun because right now I am going in every night and getting paired up with some five foot two, 23 year old girl and getting absolutely flattened by her. <laughs> that is not fun. What would be fun for me would be to walk in there and try and like challenge them to something I'm good at, like music or, I don't know, push-ups or something. Like there's things that I can do that I've worked on that I might be better at them at, but that's not why I go there. I go there to wrestle with people that are stronger than me, hoping that at some point I'm going to be sharper than when I walked in there. I'm told it takes about a year in jiu-jitsu of just constantly having your pride handed to you by people that are seemingly smaller and weaker than you. That's what drew me to it because it's like this is a this is a place where I can be humbled and sharpened on a regular basis, right? This is what God wants us to do with him. He wants us to wrestle with him on a daily basis to go into the secret place not just to petition all the toys we want but to go in and ask the hard questions, God, why is this happening to me? God, why is this happening in the Ukraine right now? God, how, what do I do about this? God, what are you trying to do in me through these hard conversations with my parents, with my brother, with my sister, with my wife, with my husband? Instead of going into the secret place like, God, please change their heart. God, please, I can't deal with their insubordination anymore. <laughs> You know, when you get in a conflict with your significant other and it doesn't go the way you want, go in and wrestle with God and go, God, what is it in me that needs to be sharpened that is lacking in this relationship? Don't ask for them to be sharpened. God wants you to be sharpened. So trials test us. Community grinds us. God wrestles us. We see this all throughout the Bible. God didn't have to, Moses didn't have to leave the Egyptian aristocracy to go try and lead four million Israelite slaves out of Egypt into the wilderness. He didn't have to do that. He could have stayed and, and, and done what he's always done, right? God called him to do something. Why? Because he was sharpening Israel. What does Israel mean? Wrestles with God, okay? 
Israel the person becomes Israel the nation. What does God use to sharpen Israel the nation? What does he use to sharpen Israel the person? He uses himself. He wrestles with himself. He wrestles with Israel. Then Israel turns into a nation. What does he use to sharpen Israel the nation? He uses 400 years of slavery in Egypt and 40 years of exile in the wilderness to sharpen them. He doesn't use a pamphlet of some oceanside resort on the other end of the wilderness, this finished place they're all traveling to. No. He uses 400 years of slavery in Egypt and 40 years in the desert to sharpen them into something that's so precise and so accurate that when they encounter the 36 other kingdoms in their promised land, God can use them for what he's been sharpening them for. And that is to hit the target. If the definition of sin is to miss the mark, then as Christians, our goal is to hit the mark. We talk about missing the mark a lot as Christians, and we like to rely on the grace of God as an excuse to find. You're going to miss the mark all the time. God's got your back, and he does have your back, but we don't talk about the fact that you're, you're actually still supposed to try and hit the mark. So if you're sinning in the same area and missing the mark in the same area, God still loves you. That's not what we're talking about. We've moved beyond that, okay? That's milk. That's for babies, okay? We're on to meat and potatoes now. We're on meat and potatoes now, which is you're missing the mark in the same area. That's because you're not a precise and accurate weapon yet. You need to be sharpened to a point. What's the point? The point is to hit the mark. God wants you to hit the mark, and he knows you can hit the mark. He doesn't want you to live a life where you're constantly relying on him to save you from not hitting the mark. He wants you to hit the mark because there's actually a fulfillment in hitting the mark. There's this idea in uh, neurophysiology for moving your hand with precision and with accuracy. So if you do this with your hand and you try to move it across your body like this, it's not a very precise way of moving. My hand is shaking. I'm not moving at an exact speed. Okay? But if I do this, I can hit a target with precision. My hand will move with exact precision. What is this? This is you moving through life, trying to hit targets. Okay? You can't hit the target. What is this? This is God. What is this? This is your husband or your wife. Okay? Yeah, it is, isn't it? I'm not married, but I watch it a lot. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's God sharpening you. That's you had a big idea, and they came in and was like, oh, actually, I don't know about that. And you're like, well, what do you mean? And that's now you together, you, you, you hit accuracy. This is your roommate that doesn't have the same political ideas as you, you know? This is your parents. This is all of the things in life that you're sick of butting up against because you've bought into this idea that there shouldn't be any adversity in your life. But adversity creates accuracy. That's what adversity does. It creates accuracy. Opposition creates precision in your life. 
that doesn't, that's not a fun message, but that's just the truth. We're not meant to be blunt objects. We're meant to be sharp tools, accurate weapons. Jacob, the son of Israel, who after all the adversity he faced, which is 15 years in prison, after being sold by his brothers into slavery, encounters his brothers at the end. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Which reminds me of Romans 8.28, which says, so we are, this is in the Passion Translation, I love this. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together for good. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his design and his purpose. Perhaps the greatest example of this, and I'm going to invite the worship team up. The greatest example of this, of someone who purposefully went towards adversity to fulfill his design purpose is Jesus. Now, Jesus didn't need to be sharpened by adversity, but he is the, the new Adam. He's the prototype, the, the model, if you will, of what we're supposed to do. So he did it for us to model because he then goes on to say, take up your cross. You need to take up your cross as well. I'm taking up my cross. You need to take up your cross. Jesus didn't live a comfortable, complacent life where he only talked to people that agreed with him. Jesus lived a life where his entire point was headed towards the cross to die for a bunch of people that don't believe in him. That's incredible. And Jesus is known as the Word of God. In the beginning of the book of John, it talks about Jesus. Jesus was the Word of God. Jesus was God and Jesus was with God in the beginning, right? What did God use in the beginning to separate the chaos into order. It was the Word. It was Jesus. It was the Logos. The Word of God is called the double-edged sword. This is how we're meant to live. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is the purpose of the Logos. The Word is to be the truth, the way, the life. This is what we're supposed to embody as followers of Jesus, is to be sharpened into something that can go into the darkness and create order from chaos. It cuts through the noise, through the lies, through the misinformation, and creates order from chaos. It cannot do that unless it's sharpened into the Logos, the Word of God, which is what He's doing for all of us. So my goal today is that you'd walk out of here not seeking the comfortable relationships and situations and scriptures, but to actively seek out those pieces of iron that will sharpen you, making you a precise and accurate instrument, something designed to hit the target. So ask yourself this today, what bothers you? What do you have a hard time wrestling with in the world? Face it head on and let God use it to shape you into what he has destined you to be.
So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to invite anybody here or listening online, if perhaps you don't have a relationship with the King of Kings, that's the ultimate point. When I say, what's the point? That's the point. The point is that God died for you and for your sins and to save your soul. So if you're here today or listening and you want to accept Jesus Christ into your heart and get on this journey, it's not going to be an easy journey. As I've just described, it's a a grinding wheel that we're subscribing to. We are signing up to be sharpened in the kingdom of God. But if you want to have that joy that James talks about that comes from the perfecting of all things in yourself and you want to invite Jesus into your heart, then I'm just going to invite you to say this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son to die for my sins even though I didn't deserve it. Forgive me. I repent. I choose to follow you. I choose to forgive others when they don't make sense to me. I choose to follow you when the world doesn't make sense to me. I choose to be sharpened by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.